This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. All right, so everybody at Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 10, the truth about the joy of the Lord. Verse 1, and all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before, before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the book of the, the law, I'm sorry, brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding, upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the man and the woman and those that could understand. And the ears of the people were attentive into, unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the, for the purpose. And beside him stood Matithia, y'all going to bear with me with these names, Matithia and Shema and, and Aniah and Uriah and Hilkiah and Messiah on his right hand. On his right hand and on his left hand, Padiah and Mishael and Melchiah and Hashem and Hashpadana, Zechariah and Meshalem. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting their hands, with lifting up their hands. And when they and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord for their fa- with their faces to the ground. Also Yeshua, and Bani, and Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathiah, Hodijah, Hodijah, Messiah, and Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is... Tirshatha and Ezra, the priests, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. So I want to I want to get you to that point. They heard Ezra is reading the law, and once he once he read it, all the people began to mourn. They began to weep. Verse ten. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet. And send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that's the point I wanted to get to, right? What does this mean? The joy of the Lord is your strength. It sounds good in the song. The joy of the Lord is my strength. But what does it mean? Now many of us use it and we don't know the true, true meaning for a believer. And if you were to look it up, you would see a definition of, you know, a feeling of happiness. Uh, you know, a, a, a great feeling of pleasure. If you were to look it up, you would see these things. But I'm here to tell you that feeling happy and having or possessing joy, they have nothing to do with each other. They're two different things. But though you can feel happy in the midst of your joy, you can't feel happy when you feel sad. I, I hope you heard that. Though you can, you can feel happy in the midst of your joy... You can, listen, you can feel sad in the midst of your joy, but you can't feel happy and sad at the same time. You, like I said, you can have joy, though, and still be, you still might be feeling sad. So, so, so joy is not an emotion. 
Emotions can change like that. And if you start to operate and choose out of your emotions, guess what? Your, de- your decisions and your outcomes will change like that. This is why you have to choose joy, because joy is constant. So joy can't be an emotion, because if you have joy, you can't lose it, because it's from God. It's given by God. Happiness, emotions, they're all, they, they all bear witness to your circumstances. They're up and down, depending on what's going on. But joy remains. It's spiritual. It's divine. It's given by God. It can't change. If it's given by, by God, that means it's eternal. He doesn't deal with the temporal. If it's given by God, that means it's eternal. See, there's so many people today chasing a feeling of, of happiness or, or what they think is joy, a certain emotion that they've, they've achieved before on their own. Thinking, this is the joy that God wants for me. But true joy is wrapped up in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why it's called the joy of the Lord. So what I want to encourage you to do today is stop trying to do for yourself what God has already done through Christ. That's what I want to do today. Stop. Stop looking for something to to give you that feeling like joy is temporal. Joy is not temporal. That's that's why he says, listen, he's already done it for you. He says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy burdened, I will give you rest. Stop trying to to make yourself feel a certain way. When the Lord has joy for you. Your rest, your peace, your joy, those eternal things, they're found only in the eternal king. So, if you want joy, you must be in the Lord. He's the helper of of your joy. You have to look to him. So here's my objective for today, and there's really two simple objectives. I'm going to give you two, uh, two questions, but we're going to answer a series of questions within those two. But here's my two objectives. The first one is to find out what is the joy of the Lord. And number two, I'll give you time, what is the joy of the Lord? And number two is, how does it give me strength? And a little sub-question under that one is, what is the strength that it gives me? So again, the objectives are these two. What is the joy of the Lord, and how does it give me strength? And again, we will find out what this strength is that he gives us. We're going to find out the truth about the joy of the Lord. So if you're with me, and you can leave a marker here in Nehemiah, because we'll refer back to this here in a little bit, but let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hallelujah. Because this is the joy of the Lord. So let's, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to learn some things from our Lord. Hallelujah. For he cares for you and knows what you're going through. So Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to read from verse 1 here. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience, patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, we're going to look at what the joy of the Lord is. So, let's look at this naturally, right? So, first off, verse 2, let's look at that again. It says, for the joy, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. So, b- before we get into the joy that was set before our Lord and Savior, let's look at this naturally. When a person starts or undertakes a new task or adventure, their passion, their commitment, their commitment, their, their will to succeed in this task strengthens them to keep their eye on that goal in front of them. For example, when an athlete starts a race and, desire, and has that desire to win the race, it, it helps keep their eyes fixed. No matter what they have to do, it'll keep their eyes fixed on what they're running that race for. Fixed on the finish line. If constructing a build, if, if constructing a building, workers who keep their eyes on the architect's final design are encouraged to keep going. They won't give up. They they keep their eyes on the goal. So here's my question: What do you think Jesus focused on while he was hanging on the cross? Because it said, for the joy that was set before him. He, he endured the agony and, the, and despite, despite he, for the joy that was set before him. So what do you think he, what do you think was the joy set before him? Can you imagine if we were in that position? You know. The Son of God position, where we're carrying crosses and enduring contradictions of the sinners, people people persecuting you. What would you have said or you have done? I know me. I'm like, I, I don't got to do this. Angels, come on down. Get him, him, him. You know, I, that's, how, that's where I would have been. But there was a joy set before the Lord. Jesus didn't do any of these things, what motivated him to keep going until the job was done? And the scripture tells us very clearly, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So it says Jesus was focused on the joy that was set before him as he endured the cross. He was he was looking to the joy of finishing. But what is he finishing? You see, as he hung on the cross and endured the persecution, it, was, it, was, it, was, it wasn't his circumstances that governed him. It wasn't his circumstances that, that made him move forward. I like how Deacon said it Wednesday night. You know, I, I believe he looked across eons of time and saw your face and saw my face. I love how Deacon said that. that. Listen, that was the joy set before him. Many people that would be saved because of his endurance. But what else did he see that motivated him? What gave him the joy to, to stay and, and endure to the end? Because there's something else that it says here in the scripture. 
So let's look at this word joy here real quick, especially in the scripture. Joy here in the, in the Greek is kara, or kara, which has, and I don't want you to get caught up on the, on the Greek definition of it. I just want you to understand this one thing about the joy here in this scripture. It has a definite article. And that means that it's not talking about just joy in general. There's a specific type of joy. What was it? Let's read verse 2 again. It says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy is finished that Jesus had his eyes fixed on was the empty throne at the right hand of the Father. Now, upon that throne, all enemies will be his footstool. He will, listen, upon that throne, he will begin the next part of his priestly ministry. As our high priest. To intercede for everyone that would come for him. Jesus had his eyes, his heart, his mind fixed on that highly exalted place. But why? Is it because he would be highly exalted? No. It was in, listen, it was the same reason why he came here. To serve you. <laughs> That's the joy that was set before Jesus to serve you. Listen, ever since that time, from that highly exalted position, he's been serving us as intercessor. It's amazing. You know, people think that I'm, it's time for me to get exalted to another position. Well, in the kingdom, when you're exalted, it means I'm, a greater, I'm the greatest servant. Even, listen, at the right hand of the Father, my joy is to serve you. So the joy of the Lord is His will and desire to live His life for someone else. He lived His life on earth for you and me. He went to the Father in glory to intercede for you and me. He never stopped having the joy of serving just because he was exalted. Because that was truly his joy. To serve. Listen, I want to finish, my, finish what I need to do here on earth so that I can get to my next position to do what? To continue to serve. That's why in Nehemiah it says the priest told him, don't be sorry. Because the joy of the Lord never gives up. I know you couldn't uphold the law, but his joy will provide you with the strength to carry on. Carry on in what? In sin? Of course not. In service to each other and in service to God. The strength to carry on in obedience. So how does the joy of the Lord provide strength? In Nehemiah, you know, the, the children of Israel, like I said, they, they mourned due to their failure to uphold the law. They felt hopelessly separated from God. But God's love covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> you know, 
thinking about, you know, Nehemiah, if you keep reading there, and I, I encourage you to read that whole chapter, because it is about the, the Feast of Tabernacles, but there's a custom that they do in the feast where they build these things called booths. And this is, it's to represent what they did when they were in the wilderness. And they put these booths on the top of their houses, at the front of their gates, behind them. And it's to represent when they were in the wilderness. And it's to represent the covering and the joy of the Lord that got them through the wilderness. And they did these things. They took these booths, they put them on top of their houses. They, and I'm talking about, right, if you read Nehemiah chapter 8, you'll see it in the next few verses. After they told them the joy of the Lord was your strength, they went and started doing these things. They reminded themselves that if it wasn't for the joy of the Lord, if it wasn't for His grace, if it wasn't for His strength, where would we be? Protection in the wilderness. You know, just like He does for us in this wilderness that we're in. Protection. Serving us. See, the joy of the Lord gives us strength to reach out or, or draw from God's provision of love. To, to draw from God's provision of life. To draw from God's provision of salvation in our time of need. Turn to Isaiah chapter 12. Y'all bear with me. This is a newer Bible. Some of these pages are sticking together, but God is faithful. Isaiah chapter 12. And I'm going to read verse 1 through 3. And in that day, I'm going to tell you right now, the day of salvation. Today. Thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water, draw water out of the wells of salvation. See, with joy you will draw water. You will draw life. You will draw from the very spirit of God. From the wills of your salvation. So the joy of the Lord gives us the ability or the strength to draw life from the Lord himself by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why you have to be a part of the kingdom for it. Because the kingdom of heaven is not meat or drink. But it is righteousness, peace and joy. In the Holy Ghost. The ability to draw life. Romans 5 and 17 says, Those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand that's life in Christ here on earth and life with Christ in everlasting. That's joy in the Holy Ghost. Those who draw from the wells of salvation, you reign in life here on earth. This 
This is how God provides. Listen, drawn from life while here on earth, this is how God provides us with his strength. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. So what is this strength? And I'm going to tell you simply like this. The strength that God provides us with is his grace. Plain and simple. But unto every one of us, every one of us is given a measure of grace, of the gift of Christ. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace or strength to help in the time of need. And when I come to him and I ask him for that help in my time of need, you know what he says? My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Most gladly will I therefore rather have the joy of the Lord in my infirmities. So that the Spirit of Christ may rest upon me. So I, you know, I, I want to, I want to make, I want to get this, the joy of the Lord, this, this statement, I want it to be brought to a fullness. It's not really a definition, but I want to bring it to a fullness for you. What does this mean? The joy of the Lord is our strength? Because I'm talking about that whole phrase. The joy of the Lord is our strength. What does this mean? Or how is it brought to fullness? It's brought to fullness when we accept and respond to His provision of righteousness by grace that reunites us so we can enjoy, draw close to, and stay in His presence. Let me say that again. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's brought to fullness when we accept and respond to His provision of righteousness by grace. And this provision of righteousness by grace, it reunites us so that we can enjoy, draw close to, and stay, remain, continue in his presence. I'm going to say that one more time. The joy of the Lord is our strength, is brought to fullness when we accept and respond to his provision of righteousness by grace that reunites us so we can enjoy draw close to and stay in his presence let me put it to you this way God has stretched out his hand for you to, you to say through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ all we have to do is reach in and grab a hold of it put our lives in his hands accept his listen there wasn't nothing we could do to receive his, his righteousness but he given, he's given it to us by His grace. Why? So that we can enjoy His presence. So we can draw near and close to Him. So that we can be of service to the kingdom. So how do I get this joy of the Lord? That's the question, right? And I'm here to tell you, as a believer, you have it. You have the joy of the Lord. But never forget this. We have an adversary. We have an adversary that likes to present and persuade you against the promises of God. So this is what you always have to remember. You always have a choice. You have to choose joy. You have to choose the joy of the Lord. 
Okay, well, how do I choose joy? How do I allow the joy of the Lord to give me strength, to give me the help I need? Well, let's go back to Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. I'm going to read it again. And, and actually, it's right there in verse 1. You want to know how? Wherefore, seeing we are also encompassed with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every way. That's the first step. If you want to know how to, 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 to walk in the joy of the, of the Lord, first thing you need to do is lay aside every way. Lay aside means to, to put off. Leave it behind. Give no thought to it anymore. Let it go. You know, again, you, you talk about every weight, I, I think of a race again. An athlete running a race. You know, the candidates that want to win the prize, they're going to lay aside everything they have to. Listen, good, bad, or indifferent, my eyes are set on the goal. They're going to lay aside, they're going to leave behind, they're going to put off everything they have to. And give no thought to it. They'll subject them their, their, their lifestyle to a whole new a whole new diet, a whole new order of discipline to reach that goal. That means ultimately, if it doesn't help me get to the goal that I have my set eyes my eyes set on to, then I should have no problem losing it. Likewise, carnal and worldly lusts, whether they be external or internal, that would impede you from the strength that God has for you, they'll be laid aside. That's why I said, good, bad, or indifferent. If it's in the way of God's grace, His strength to you, it's time to let it go. L let me help you. Right now, right? There are no external things of this world that, that haven't been tainted or tarnished by sin. So, you know, everything you pick up uh, in, from this world along this Christian journey, good, bad, or indifferent, it's, it, there's, it, it's nothing that hasn't been tarnished by sin, so you've got to be willing to let those things go if it comes in your way. From receiving to operating in His strength and His grace. I'm going to help you. You don't have to ask. Anything external from this world has been affected by sin. If God asks you for it, you should be willing to let it go. You said you wanted the joy of the Lord? Lay aside every weight. Those are the small boxes that will block you from, from, from accessing the grace that God already has for you. And then that's how you begin to think, you know, I don't, I don't have joy. Because your life doesn't seem to be where it should be. But it's not that you don't have it, it's that you're not choosing it. You haven't, you know, you haven't, you haven't come to that, that point in your mind where he is the greater and there's nothing greater than him. The lesser has to be, listen, the lesser can go. You know, we had a, um, a conversation this past week with some, uh, some young folks and, um, you know, we gave them a challenge, you know. Tell us, 
Tell us what you've been spending time with more, you know, besides, outside of school, what's the most things that you've been spending time with? And one of the, one of the most things that came up was the cell phone. It's amazing. <laughs> and some, it's amazing to me, right, because a cell phone is an object. It don't have no feeling about you one way or the other. You know what I mean? It has, listen, the cell phone don't have no control over you. You have control over it. So whatever that cell phone is doing, is doing what you told it. You know, so so we asked him, you know, can you this extra? And we asked him this extra time you have. What do you? And it, and it went to the cell phone. So we said, in this extra time, can you give up that cell phone and spend time with God? And I'm talking about you want to talk about pushback. Well, do I? Can I talk to this person? Can I? I'm talking about some of the craziest questions. Well, can I? Can can I use this to ask people? So if my mom texts me, can I text her back? Listen, you have a problem. You haven't laid aside every way. You don't consider what's greater. So you spend more time with yourself on or whatever you're, whatever you're spending your time with and no time drawn from the wells of salvation. So that you have the grace that you need to help you in the time of need. You know, so one of them said, you know, I spend my time on the phone FaceTiming with this person, their special friend. Not about the things of God, and you know what that special friend is. So, if you can't give these things up, and you're spending more time with these things, and not with God, and all of a sudden a temptation comes in, where are you going to draw from? You haven't drawn from the world of salvation, so how are you going to make your decision? Based off the circumstance? Based off your feelings? You know, self-gratification? Based off of... Based off the things you choose to allow to influence you? Only thing that's going to come out is, a, is what you've been spending the majority of your time with. So just say, for instance, and I'm, this, this right here is total hypothetical. Let's say, for instance, this special friend has been pressuring you and pressuring you about being what they call intimate, sex outside of marriage. And you haven't been drawn from the wells of salvation. And all of a sudden, this temptation comes up. What do you think is going to happen? There's no grace for you there. You haven't dropped. You didn't choose joy. You didn't choose to draw from the wells of salvation. You chose to draw off of those, that flesh. You know, those appetites, those things that remain in your soul that work its way out through your body. And the joy of the Lord, which gives you strength, is sitting right there for you as a believer. God has prepared a table in the presence of your enemy, and you tell him, I'm good, I want to I chill with the enemies. And God is saying, but I'm here! Here's my grace that you need to get out of this. Here's the strength you need to carry on. So every way, anything, good, bad, or indifferent, that will hinder you, that will keep you from running this race, you've got to be willing to let it go. I, listen, I'm not, that's why I said that thing about the cell phone. A cell phone's not evil. A cell phone's not bad. But if it will hinder and impede you, you've got to make some decisions.
if you want the joy. We're talking about the joy of the Lord. The truth about the joy of the Lord. And then what does it say we have to do? It says, let us lay aside every weight. And I love how it splits this up. And the sin which does so easily beset us. That's the second thing you have to do. You know, lay aside every weight, good, bad, or indifferent. Because for some people, that good, bad, and indifferent, that's fine. That doesn't, but no, no, no. And the sin which does so easily beset you. I love this. You know why? Because that general, that general, you know, good, bad, and different, he, he brought it down and started talking directly to you. I love that. Don't think that anybody's, anybody's exempt. Myself included. Pastor Hill included. Nobody's exempt. Listen. This is, let me help you with the sin that so easily besets you. What this means, this is the sin which gets you to act out in disbelief. Maybe if you look at it that way, it'll become a little more real to you. I believe in God, but you're acting out in disbelief. Acting out against the truth. See, this is the truth about the joy of the Lord. Hate it and love it. It's not my truth. This is the truth of the word. You're the one acting out against the truth. You know, that's why I, I always remember this. The enemy is just presenting and persuading based on the sin that easily besets you. So you have a chance. You have a chance to choose that tempting fruit or choose the joy of the Lord every day. You can choose the, the most easy, the most satisfying route, or you can choose strength and grace. Look, that's the choice. And you're faced with that choice on a day-to-day basis. And, and, and I tell you, for some people, this is it. They've made it, right, here on the earth. Even though you're, you're proclaiming to be believers, your heart and your actions, that's why I said you're acting out in disbelief because your heart and actions are far from God. It's all about pleasing myself and living it to the fullest while I'm here. Listen, your will to live his life, your will to please him has to be greater than your will to please yourself and others for that matter. You know, back when I uh, first got out of college, I got a, well, I had, an, I had another job before this, but this was like my first major, major job at a big company out here in Austin. And, you know, I started making some decent money there. I really did. I was making some decent money. And as I, as I moved on and on and it started growing with them, I was like, well, they're offering me more money if I do this. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, this is, this is something that God wants me to do for my family. You know, I need to do this. I need to do that. And not thinking to myself, boy, you, is this the sin which so easily besets you? But, so I'm thinking to myself, this is what God wants for my family. So immediately I accept this position, right? And they got me working six days. My wife will tell you, she hated it. They got me working six days a week. I'm home one day. Sometimes, sometimes it's a full week. Seven days. So I begin to miss church. And I mean 
just like you're supposed to come to church faithfully, I started missing it faithfully. <laughs> missing it, thinking, but this is what God had for me. Far from His Word. And I had to realize, I had to realize for a second, you know, what, what is it that's keeping me? Because I, I saw in my life, things start taking, listen, it started taking a toll on my life. It started taking a toll on my marriage. I told you, my wife hated it. And she made that very clear. Listen, I hated it. But my eyes were, were focused on something different. And God was trying to tell me, listen, I know how to please your family. I know everything that you need. But it was my desire. Because I thought to myself, I need to please, I need to, I need to do this for my family. But really, my thought process was, when I really got real with myself, was, I'm trying to please me. I listen, I'm trying to please my wife. And God is like, but I know how to please her. Listen, quit trying to do for yourself what I've already done. So then I had to make a serious question to myself. Am I more committed to this job than I am to God? And if so, why? And the only answer I could come up with was money. So you got to have those real conversations, you know, and the sin which so easily besets you. Quit lying to yourself. The only answer I can come up with money. Listen, now that's circumstantial. Because jobs and money, they come and they go. No one is irreplaceable. I don't even work for that company no more. And it's been years. But God offers his righteousness freely. His righteousness freely. He wants us to enjoy his presence freely and eternally. That's the joy of the Lord. See, I... I had to realize that the goal for me as a believer, it doesn't change based on what's going on around me. You know, as a matter of fact, once I let that job go, the next job I went to, I was making even more money, but my relationship with God was intact. I decided I wasn't going to sacrifice. I wasn't going to come in as the yes man. I wasn't going to try to get ahead so I can make this amount of money and be here, be here, uh, um, Physically, at a certain point, but I, I need to be at a certain place spiritually. And God took care of the rest. All because I kept his truth and purpose first. I had to, at that point, I had to choose joy. Though at the moment, it may not seem like it. I'm giving this up. I'm giving that up. But he is the greater. You have to choose to look towards your hope and stay fixed. Chapter 12 again, still on verse 1. And let us run with patience. We have to run this. You want to know the joy of the how you Listen, how you have access to that strength that the joy of the Lord brings? You have to run this race with patience. You know what that patience means? It means endurance. It means an expectation. It means with self-control. It means with a, a devotion to God. It means with an integrity. It means with excellence. And if I'm to develop this type of patience, I have to be clear-headed. I can't be distracted. Sober-minded is the words I'm thinking of. I have to be self-controlled, self-denying. 
Like I said, you have to be willing to let go of some things. I have to constantly be arming my mind. With what? With the Word of God. And then what else to say in verse 1 there? Oh, I'm sorry. Let me finish verse 1. With patience, the race that is set before us. Verse 2. Also, looking unto Jesus. Fixing our eyes on he who is seated on the throne. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Lest ye be worried and faint in your minds. Look unto Jesus, who had every opportunity to faint, but who for the joy set before him he endured. He ran that race with patience. For who? For you. For me. So I'm going to ask you, what, what's the joy set before you? What keeps you motivated to keep moving ahead with the purpose of God? Even when things are difficult. Listen, if you don't have a hope, if you don't have, your, if you don't have a goal, it's more than likely that you'll faint. That's why it's so important to know exactly where you're headed. That's why God shows us our expected end from the beginning. So we have a hope. For without hope, there is no joy. If all you're expecting is what this world has to offer you, you're in a sad state. There is no hope because none of those things are eternal, which means none of those things bring joy because joy is eternal. So what keeps you motivated to stay committed to God's purpose for your life? Listen, ask yourself this. What will the final chapter of your life look like because you've done what God has asked you to do? Because you've continued in his joy. What is the joy that is set before you? You know, sometimes when you're, you're working hard on trying to do what God has, you know, what he's asked you to do, it can seem overwhelming. But progress, maturity, fruitfulness, growth, it's gained one step at a time. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Your progress might seem small, but no matter how big or small the steps you are, you need to be moving forward. You know, I, I think of a saying that my brother has picked up since we worked out, uh, and I don't know where he got it from, but it says, the only, the only bad workout is the one that you don't do. So I'm going to adopt that over here into this. The only progress, the only bad progress is backwards in the progress that you don't make. But no matter how big or small, if you're focused on that goal, it doesn't matter how big. This is a race. Run it with patience and endurance. 
Don't try. It's when you try to get ahead and you think, well, I'm ready. That's when you, 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 you fall back. You know, when I was a, I don't want to say a younger man, but even younger than I am now, I remember God showing me the purpose for my life. And as a believer, I had to make the conscious decision to make every effort to keep that purpose in front of me. Every day since, and before my eyes. Because there's plenty of things that, like I said, the enemy wants to present and persuade, and there's plenty of things that are presented to me every day. Look, in times of hardships, in times of plenty, in times of happiness, in times of sadness, I've kept my eyes focused on that goal. Because fulfilling what God has for you is what your life is all about. Everything I've seen or experienced as a, as a believer in my relationship with God, I don't, I don't see no difference because I count it all joy. The ups, the downs, the failures that have propelled me into success in Christ. Because he's, he's taught, I just told you about some of my failures earlier in my life, but it has propelled me. Listen, I had to get my eyes fixed on the goal, and God said, now come on. Sometimes it seems like all I could do was take baby steps. But each step, was in the right direction. That's the way we have to purpose to live our life if we're going to continue in the joy of the Lord. Each step, each choice has to be a choice of joy. If you, if you get your eyes off of it, if you get your eyes on the small steps and like my progress is not happening, that's... That's when you're, you're more likely to faint. Keep your eyes fixed. Look forward and see the prize, not back. So for the believer, what is the joy that is set before us? And for me, this is what I found. As a believer, I found that the joy set before me is to work out my salvation so that I can see Jesus. And in the process... I can serve his people. It's to work out my own salvation so that I can see Jesus. And in the process, serve his people. That should be our joy ever set in front of us. If you have the joy to live your life for the service of others, I promise you this. You'll have the strength and the grace needed to do it. No matter how hard or tough it seems sometimes, because remember that, remember that about His grace. His, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. All you got to do is stay fixed. Steadfast and unmovable. With the remaining time I have left, I want to I want to give us a few biblical examples here. Let's turn to Genesis 37 because I want to talk about the joy that some of these characters in the Bible have had. And I say characters, but these are real people. 
Understand that. This is the truth about the joy of the Lord. Genesis chapter 37, we're going to talk about Joseph. And I'm going to start at verse, actually, let me start at verse 2, and I'm going to read through verse 10 here. All right, so, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was, the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him, and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheep arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood around, stood around about, and made ob- obeisance to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him, and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to thee to the earth? Now, before I, you know, get off into this, this, this is why I desire to please God has to be greater than people. See, because this dream, this is of God. This is a, a dream that God gave to him. And here they are, they're already in interpreted for him. So you're going to rule over us? That's what you're saying? No, he just gave you a dream. You're going to rule over me? You think that's what you've been set to do? And, you know, Joseph is the one dreaming these dreams. But this is the joy that God has set before him. God is showing Joseph now the goal that he has for him. And look, the, the, the people or, you know, his family in this case, in his life, thought he just wanted to rule. But little did they know that God was setting him up. Listen, it's so amazing. God was setting him up to be the top servant in this land. <laughs> See, y'all are, you, you think you're going to live? We bow down to you? You don't know what God has said to this man. That's why, he, like I said, listen, you can't be desired to please yourself. Because Joseph could easily say, yeah, I'm a rule. That's going to be me. You can't be desired to please other people because they think, oh, okay, I'm going to back down from that dream because you think I'm going to rule you. No. God is setting him up to serve. If you follow Joseph's life from here, you'll see all his, all his circumstances change. But his eyes remain fixed on the joy of service set before him. Service to who? Service to God. I want you to understand that. You know, because in service to God, you will serve people. So he has his eyes fixed on service to God. Let's turn to chapter 39. Genesis 39. And I want you to understand here that, you know, his brothers who hated him, they sold him into slavery. You know, those, his own brothers who wanted to kill him. So let's start off with the circumstances, right? First off, your brothers wanted to kill you. Listen, for, for most people, that's enough. 
If my brother wants to, listen, I'm off the purpose of God. You want me to stop? I don't want you to, you know, I'm off. Then they sold him into slavery. At that point, being somebody's slave, what's your mentality? Look, I'm done now. Listen, he, he calls this, listen, this is the land of his affliction. This is what's going on right now. But his eyes are fixed. So chapter 39, I want you to know he was sold into slavery, and then he ends up as a, 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 a slave in Potiphar's house. So here we are, chapter 39, and I'm going to read, whew, maybe verse, we'll see. We'll start at verse 1. And Joseph was, brought, Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard in Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw and the Lord, that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. See, Joseph never, he never got his life. Each scripture you keep hearing, even though these circumstances happened, the Lord was with him. Because he never took his eyes off the goal. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house. Hallelujah. And all that he had put into his hand. And it came to pass from that time that he had made him an overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And let me say this in passing, you know, because Joseph had his, his heart set on service. No matter where he went, his heart was set on service and blessing others. And so in that, if you want a blessing from the Lord, bless his people. Be focused on him and bless his people. That's why I said this is the joy set before us, to bless his people. That's why the Lord was with him. His eyes was fixed on it. And of course, this is, you know, this is the Egyptian's house, but his people will be blessed. Keep going with me. In verse 6, And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not all he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused. He chose joy. Right there. Right there. First time. Lie with me. But he refused. And said unto his master's wife, behold my master wadeth. Not, not what it what it I'm sorry, what is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither has he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I love how he... See, he's, he's still focused. He still has his eyes set. He said, how can I do this against... You thought he was going to say Potiphar, right? No, against God. And it came to pass that she spake to Joseph day by day. See, she kept at him, that he hearkened not unto her, to lie by her or be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me, and left his garment in her hand, and fled and got him out. Now see, <laughs> that started making me think of the sin which does so easily beset you. See, because that sin will grab a hold of you, just like Potiphar's wife did. And let me tell you what choosing joy means at a moment like that. He fled. He got out of there. He ran. Leaving a coat in his hand. 
You know why? Because the Lord is with me and I need His strength and His grace because I'm in the land of my affliction. And I, how can I do this sin against God? So, of course, we know what happened. Potiphar, you know, Potiphar's wife screamed out, let out a big yell, and told him that he was trying to take her. And, of course, she lied on him. So I'm going to start at verse, I'm going to read verse 20 through 22. And Joseph's master, talking about Potiphar, took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. See, listen, you keep your eyes fixed. No matter where you go, he's found favor. He's, listen, he's operating out of the grace of God right now, I'm going to tell you. Listen, you put me in a prison? I'm going to tell you something. From slavery to he gets out of prison, he spent what, some 13 years of his life gone. but still kept his eyes on the prize. Still kept moving forward. No matter, listen, he got made ruler over Potiphar's house. And then they threw him in jail. All these circumstances that can make you happy, make you sad, make you upset, but he remained with joy. Chapter 40, and actually I'm not going to read because I have marked off a lot of scriptures here and I'm not going to read all of that, but suffice it to say in chapters 40 through 41, he begins to tell dreams, interpret dreams by the Spirit of God. He begins to interpret, interpret dreams for prisoners, and then Pharaoh needs a dream interpreted for him. And he goes and he, he interprets this dream for Pharaoh, and I'm going to tell you, all things change from there. And this dream, now I have to tell you the dream he, he gave to Pharaoh. Give me a second, let me see. Because what he had told Pharaoh was that there was going to be a famine. And, and you know, I don't, I don't need to read it. He told Pharaoh that it's going to be a famine. And, and, and you know, this, in my mind, it had nothing to do because, you know, these were the Egyptians, right? The, the people he was dealing with. But God knew that Joseph was going to run into his family again. God knew that this famine was going to affect his people. So here we are, some 13 years later, after his brothers who wanted to kill him, sold him into slavery, went to Potiphar's house, became lord over his house, then thrown into prison. And here we are, he gives this, he gives this to, to Pharaoh, and, and, and they see that all of it is good, he makes him rule over all the land. He becomes fruitful. He has, he has children of his own. Through his sons. And listen, during this time of famine, it was set up so... He was put in a position so that everybody had to come to him. You need corn, you need... You, because, because of his fam, because of his uh, interpretation of the dream, they were prepared. Joseph gave him... Also, God gave him the strategy to prepare for it. And listen, because of this, like I said, Pharaoh put him in a position and everybody had to come to him, including his family. 
Listen, all of God's people had to come to Joseph. You know, the one that he was, that God was preparing from the very beginning, showed us into already. The one, the one that they gave him the dream and they said, we're going to bow down to you. God's like, it's time to serve. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 50, because I want you to see the outcome of this. Verse 19 and 20. No, 18, 19, and 20. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. These are Joseph's brethren now because he's been reunited with them. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I am in the place of God. For am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God made it unto good. To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. See, that's the joy of the Lord. When you see that these circumstances or anything that you go through, God has meant it for my good. And now he's in the position to serve his family. Hallelujah. Had every opportunity to faint. But wouldn't give up. You know, I, I, I think of Paul, you know, he was a Pharisee who, who hated Christians. But he was touched by Jesus and transformed. He went through many circumstances throughout his ministry. Being in prison and things like that. Listen, in prison, he wrote what's known as the book of joy. Philippians. Now you tell me what kind of contentment is that? In the, sitting in prison. And your eyes are fixed. He said things like, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. But I can do all things. See, with the joy of the Lord, I have the grace and the strength to do all things. Because I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. He says things like, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, he said things like, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. See, it sounds like he's willing to lay aside some weights. Uh, he says things like, like Deacon Burris was saying with the night, fulfill ye his joy and be of the same mind. Uh, forgetting what lies behind. Keeping our eyes on the prize. Reaching. Toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. Now that's joy. 
no matter the circumstances, no matter what it may be, everything is orchestrated by God for our good because we've chose joy. Don't look back at your past mistakes. Don't look at the current circumstances. Don't look at the pandemic. That's all the enemy wants to do is distract you. He wants to damage your faith. He wants to sift us like wheat. He wants to make you useless to the kingdom. But his joy, the will to live his life, that's what will afford you the grace to carry on. So I want to exhort you today, let's, let's make a first consecration before the Lord. Let's lay aside every weight and the sin which so, so, does so easily beset us. Let's continue in the joy of the Lord, for it's His joy that will give us strength. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.